Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. Um, just quick show of hands. How many of you were with us last week when we wrapped up the end of John chapter 11? And you, thank you, you had a chance to hear Caiaphas when he was talking to the rest of those religious leaders and he said, you guys know nothing. And then he basically described what Jesus is, the end of Jesus's life. Well, if you heard Caiaphas, basically he was saying to the people that were listening to him, you guys are a bunch of morons. And actually, he was talking about me. Because if you watched our sermon last week, I made a whole thing about a word that isn't even in the Bible. In fact, I misread the word while it was on the screen, and the word in the Bible was unite. I read untie. I did a whole, basically what I'm telling you is that I'm a moron, and I did a whole thing last week on a word that isn't in the Bible, but let's move on from there. Thank you for being gracious with me last week. We're in John chapter 12. And this point in the Gospel of John, the Bible book of John, is kind of a transition. This is a moment where Jesus has a choice to make. He's done a bunch of miracles. He's fed the multitudes. He has brought the dead back to life again. And now there's a fatwa. There's a religious death order from the high priest. If anybody sees him, turn him in. We're going to kill him because this guy is causing too much trouble. And Jesus is at a moment that he has a choice to make. In fact, I was just reading from Michael Tenney, who wrote a book about this Bible book, about this choice that Jesus had to make. Way back in John chapter 6, Jesus starts to deliver to the crowds a bunch of food, and they decide, we like this guy. We want this guy to become our commanding general. We want him to lead a revolt that will kick the Romans out of our land, and we'll be a free nation again. And they try to force him to take the lead. And Jesus steps away and says, I'm not going to be that kind of leader for you. Then Jesus preaches a very unpopular message, and John tells us that when people hear Jesus' message about discipleship, even some of his own followers say, peace out. If that's what it takes to follow Jesus, I'm not following him anymore. And even some of his closest followers left. Jesus is now at this moment where he has a choice to make. I can go into hiding, and I can save my own neck, or I can step into the limelight and save many who are hopelessly, helplessly in their sins. And let's just be honest, y'all. If Jesus chooses the selfish route, you and I have no hope for heaven. And what we see starting today is Jesus' heart. Jesus chooses that I'm going to put myself in danger. I'm going to put my life online. Ultimately, we'll see pretty soon. I will give my life up for those who have no hope of heaven. And Jesus starts to demonstrate his heart. Today's sermon is all about worship. The way that we started this broadcast today was very awkward on purpose. It was designed for you to start to look inside your heart. And I'll tell you why we're doing that, because if you really want to know where we're going from John chapter 12, I can give it to you in one simple statement. Here it is. The heart of worship always boils down to your heart. It basically boils down to a worshiping heart. And you and Jesus in heaven alone know what your heart is like 
when you're worshiping him, nobody else around you, even your closest friend or your spouse, know what's going on in your heart right now. And today, what I'm going to do is try to open the Bible up from John chapter 12, and you're going to see a beautiful, perhaps one of the most beautiful expressions of worship found anywhere in the Bible. And it comes from a woman who just lays her heart bare before Jesus. A woman by the name of Mary from John chapter 12. And let me tell you what Mary does as she starts to show her worshiping heart. First, she describes how a heart of worship is a total sacrifice. You can't really hold anything back. Worship requires a total sacrifice to the Father. And by the way, if you pay close attention to these three points from the sermon today, you're gonna see the Trinity of the living God show up. God the Father, God the Son and God the Holy Spirit because we hold nothing back from any of them. Those three are one and those three know our hearts. And you find a woman by the name of Mary. Jesus has just done a big miracle and restored Mary's brother Lazarus to her. And Mary and Martha decide to throw a party in Jesus's honor and they invite Jesus to this dinner banquet. John chapter 12, starting in verse one. Six days before the Passover celebration began, Jesus arrived in Bethany. Say Bethany out loud. This town is really important. I'll try to explain why in just a moment. Jesus arrived in Bethany, the home of Lazarus. In case you missed chapter 11, Lazarus is the man that Jesus raised from the dead. A dinner was prepared in Jesus' honor. Martha served and Lazarus was among those who ate with him. Listen to this. Look at this total sacrifice from this woman, Mary. Then Mary took a 12-ounce jar of expensive perfume made from the essence of nard, and she anointed Jesus' feet with it. Basically, she dumped the spices on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And then the house was filled with fragrance. Now, the dinner party that we're at in John chapter 12, Jesus is back in the town of Mary and Martha and Lazarus. He's just done this great miracle and called Lazarus out of the grave. This man who was dead for four days is now alive. He's so alive that he's hungry and he's eating a meal with Jesus. Martha, the sister, is worshiping Jesus by serving. Great way to worship. Mary, on the other hand, does something mind-blowing. And by the way, there is nothing compelling her to do this. There is no obligation to do what she does for Jesus. She takes this expensive jar of spices, and she pours them all and dumps them out on Jesus' feet. Now, I need to explain spices back in Jesus' day. By the way, this microphone is making all kinds of crazy noise, but just bear with me. It's all good. Spices were like Bitcoin. Seriously, literally, they were so rare, so valuable, they were small, and that means that they were able to be transferred easily when you were on a journey or on a trip. So if you wanted to take your life savings with you, you could convert it into some very precious spices, and you carry those spices along with you. And everywhere you went, people bought and sold spices, so you could buy spices when you left and sell them when you arrived. You ever heard the phrase, not worth his salt? You guys heard that phrase before? 
That phrase is describing how much spices played a role in Jesus's day. The Romans used to actually pay for day labor with spice. They would pay for somebody's labor with salt. And a measure of salt was how much work you did. So when we use the phrase, not worth your salt, it's basically saying you don't deserve the pay that you're getting. But salt was the payment method. A lot of people discuss where did this very expensive spice come from? We're going to hear in just a second that this is essentially a year's worth of wages that Mary just dumps on Jesus's feet. And then she takes it a step further and she does something shocking, a little bit scandalous. And it left such a huge impact on John, who was probably in the room that day, that John decides, I got to write this down for everybody in the world to, to read. And maybe John is still smelling the scent of those spices when he writes this down. Mary dumps what's equivalently her life savings on Jesus's feet. Some people think this actually might have been, there's a big argument about where this expensive spice came from. Where did this money come from? Some people think it actually may have been her dowry, what she would use to secure a husband, meaning she just gave her entire future away when she dumped it at the feet of Jesus. And then she took it a step further by falling at his feet and wiping his feet with her hair. And what you're reading in the Bible right now is an absolute total surrender. She is holding nothing back from Jesus. And when God's people worship him, he expects us to worship him and hold nothing back. If you read the Old Testament, you're going to read more than once where God says, don't even bother coming to me with your sacrifices and don't even bother showing up in the temple and don't come to me in prayer when your hearts are far from me because I don't want that kind of sacrifice. You can just stay at home if your heart is far from me. And in the New Testament, Jesus makes it even more graphic. He says in Revelation, if you have a lukewarm heart, meaning your heart is on something else when your actions are at the church coming to worship Jesus, he says, I want to vomit you out of my mouth if that's the kind of worship that you give me. And what the Bible is describing from beginning to end is God expecting his people to worship him with a totally surrendered heart. And here's the problem. If you're anything like me, it's almost impossible to be totally focused on anything at one time. And so I need God's help. You probably need God's help to worship him the way he expects us to worship him, which naturally brings up point number two. Your heart must be joined with Jesus, aligned with Jesus, must be in connection with Jesus if you're going to be able to worship him right. See, John chapter 12, it's a picture of Mary's heart. But we don't just get a chance to see Mary's heart. We actually get a chance to see Judas's heart and Jesus's heart in John chapter 12. Listen to one of Jesus, Judas, listen to Judas, one of Jesus' disciples, and how he reacts to this event when Mary dumps basically her life savings on Jesus' feet. But Judas Iscariot, John chapter 12, verse 4, 
the disciple who would soon betray him. There's a whole lot more that I want to say about Judas, but I'm going to hang on because he's going to come up and figure prominently later on in the book of John. But Judas Iscariot, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's wages. It should have been sold for the money and given to poor, to the poor. And then John tells us uh, something about Judas's heart. It's not that he cared about the poor. Judas was a thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of Jesus's money for himself. And can we all agree on one thing right now? Judas is a jerk. Would you agree? Like Mary shows up and Mary does something beautiful. Mary does something pure. Mary does something that comes from an absolute total surrender. And all Judas can think about is his own pockets. In fact, Judas starts to criticize this very pure, very beautiful thing that Mary does. And I wish this wasn't the case, but there are still people like Judas in the church today where they criticize your actions without thinking about your heart. Don't get me wrong. Your actions are important, but the heart behind the actions are infinitely more important than the actions themselves. And unfortunately... Even in our church, occasionally, somebody will creep in that is a jerk like Judas, and they are critical and like to condemn you because of your actions. Do you know what what I like to call people like that who find themselves in Two Cities Church? I like to refer to them as former members of Two Cities Church. It's time for you to go find another church if you're going to be a jerk like Judas, because you can't see the heart behind the actions, nor can I. So don't get all wrapped around the axle about the actions when you and I don't know the heart behind the actions. Judas is following Jesus. Look up here because this might hurt for just a second for what he can get out of them. He only is following Jesus for what he can get out of him. Meaning Judas is the kind of person that when he's in trouble, he runs to Jesus. But when there's no trouble, he totally forgets about him. Judas is the kind of person that when he prays, he's got a laundry list of things that he's asking for Jesus, for from Jesus. But there is nothing that he is trying to do for Jesus. Judas is not about making disciples. Judas is not about following the way. Judas is all about what can I get out of this thing? And Judas is a heart out of alignment with Jesus, a heart that is not joined together with Jesus. We're going to get in much greater detail, God willing, in the next few weeks and months. Why would Jesus allow a jerk like this to follow him? I don't want to go over that conversation today. But I do want to tell you, I get frustrated. I get really frustrated. I get really, really, really frustrated When church people take the word worship, which is a verb, and they turn it into a noun, and instead of becoming what we do with our hearts, it becomes a synonym for singing a couple of songs in a church on a Sunday morning. That's the noun worship. uh, That's uh, turning a verb into a noun. There's three reasons why I get really, really frustrated with this. One, it's because it confuses the word. 
And now the word really doesn't mean anymore what it was originally intended to mean. And people who use that word are now using it in a way that it was never intended to mean. Worship is an act and therefore it's a verb. It's not a synonym for singing songs in a church. The second reason it frustrates me is because it confuses and challenges our theology. Here's what turning a verb into a noun, turning the verb worship into a noun does. It inevitably puts you at the center of worship. And your language starts to become worship and you. When in the Bible, worship is always and only about God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So when we confuse the word and turn the verb into a noun, we also start to put ourselves at the center of worship instead of putting the king of kings. But for me, here's the worst part of it. It's not just that it confuses the meaning and it complicates the theology. It actually cheapens the act. And now it's no longer this beautiful, pure thing that God really intended for his people when he when he required worship of us. Guys, worship, the, the worship of our great God deserves our full and total attention. Can I tell you how much I struggle with this? I get up pretty early in the morning and I try to spend time with Jesus. It's my daily act of worship. And I try to get up before anything else happens at the start of my day. And some days my days start really early. So I'm talking about at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning, I spend about 30 minutes in what I call uh, mornings with Jesus, my daily worship. And what my habit is, by the way, I've been doing this for decades, is I'll read some scripture. Typically, I'll read a little bit of theology. And I'll also read some church history. And then I spend some time praying. And you would think at this unholy hour in the morning at 3.30 or 4 o'clock in the morning where there's absolutely nothing going on in a dark house, just me and Jesus, that I'd, be really, I'd really be able to focus my thoughts and my attention on Jesus, right? You'd be able to think that. But in reality, what typically ends up happening is I'm reading a couple of verses from Scripture, and I'll even remember what I read three seconds later. I'm praying... And I don't even know what's coming out of my heart because my heart is all over the map. And I kind of feel like from time to time, God is like, hey, Jeff, why don't you just get back to me whenever you're actually focused on me? Because right now it seems like you got your mind and your hearts on a whole lot of other things. So just uh, get back in touch with me whenever you're really focused and, you're, and I have 100% of your heart. And even at 3.30 in the morning, after decades of doing this, I still feel a heart that is being tugged towards what's happening around me instead of focusing on my father. Judas could have been, should have been, a man totally focused on Jesus, but he wasn't. He was focused on himself and he tried to use the town of Bethany as an opportunity to put a little bit of money in his pocket. Dawn and I had this amazing opportunity just last week. We just got back two days ago from Israel. We spent just a couple of days there. And when we were in Israel, I learned something about the town of Bethany that I would like you to hear, which makes the 
act, the, the, the comment that Judas makes at this moment in the town of Bethany, maybe it makes a little bit more sense to you. So I filmed a little bit of video to help you understand the significance of Bethany. Check this out. Hey everybody, I'm here in Jerusalem this week on a short trip with my wife Dawn. And I wanted to point something out about this story about Jesus arriving in the city of Bethany. You know that this is Mary and Martha and of course Lazarus' hometown. Did you know that Bethany is only seven miles away from Jerusalem? Bethany is where a lot of people, when they were making a spiritual pilgrimage to Jerusalem, would stop and they would spend a few hours there and they would prepare themselves to go up to Jerusalem and to go up to the Temple Mount. Well, here's what I wanted you to know about the kind of people that lived in Bethany. You see, the pilgrims from around the world, when they came to Jerusalem, would stop in Bethany and they would get rid of all of their food as part of ritual cleansing. And they would go into Jerusalem with nothing. And then they would buy their food, buy their sacrifice, and take it to the temple in Jerusalem. As a result, some of the poorest people in Israel in Jesus' day lived in Bethany. They lived in Bethany because they got free food from all of the pilgrims when they dropped their food in Bethany and got ready to go to Jerusalem. Basically, what I'm telling you right now is when Judas says, hey, we could have sold this money and given it as food to the poor, he was saying this in the city of Bethany, which was known in Jesus' day of the place where the poorest of the poor would go to get food. Think about it this way. Jesus is not hanging out in Jerusalem with the really rich and the really famous people. He's intentionally spending time with the poorest and the humble and the needy. The town of Bethany has huge significance in this story. And I just wanted to take a moment to illustrate it for you while I'm right here in Jerusalem. Judas sees an opportunity. He's surrounded by poor people. And this woman has just poured out a life's savings on Jesus's feet. And Judas thought, I could have taken some of this money for myself. And Judas's heart is twisted. And because Judas's heart is twisted, his actions are also going to be twisted. I wish I could tell you that when I get up in the morning, 30 minutes, and I'm spending those, that time of worship with Jesus, that my heart is always focused and it's always on him, but it's not. I think I'm telling you this because if you find yourself wrestling with thoughts that are wandering or if you're wrestling with prayers that sound like they're all over the map, join the club. I'm right there with you. But I do have a challenge for you this week. And here's my challenge. Would you spend 30 minutes? It may not feel perfect. It may feel like you're all over the map. It may feel like your heart is really struggling and being pulled in multiple directions. But would you just make a commitment that you will spend 30 minutes worshiping Jesus every day this week? Would you make that commitment? You see, you don't have to do it early in the morning like I do. You can do it at lunchtime. You can do it later in the day. You don't have to do it reading the Bible. You can spend a few moments reading the Bible and journaling. Maybe you spend a few minutes praying and listening to music. Maybe you're going to spend a few moments reading some devotionals, or maybe you spend a few moments, just a few moments a day, serving people. Maybe for you it's all of the above. doesn't really matter. What I'm asking is would you get into the regular spiritual habit of daily worshiping Jesus with no distractions 
and no other things competing for your mind or competing for your heart. Because if you're not careful, your heart may end up more like Judas than Mary because it's being pulled towards thinking about yourself more than thinking about Jesus. And what you see here so far in John chapter 12 is two incredibly stark contrasts between this heart that's totally surrendered to Jesus, Mary, and a heart that's only focused on themselves, Judas. And third and finally, John gives us a glimpse into Jesus's heart when John reminds us that your actions really do have to line up with your heart and the Holy Spirit. And it's the Holy Spirit that actually makes the heart line up with God's heart. So your actions need to line up with the Holy Spirit. Mary does something at this moment that is shocking and scandalous when she not only pours her life savings out on Jesus' feet, but she wipes, him with her, wipes her, his feet with her hair. Judas gets angry about it. But listen to Jesus' reply to this event. Jesus replied, leave her alone. She did this in preparation for my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, I just want to ask you, how many of you in this room believe that Mary knew that Jesus was about to die and go to the tomb when she poured these spices out on his feet? How many of you think Mary knew exactly what was coming up when she did this? No, chances are she had no idea what was coming up in Jesus' future when this happened, but she was being prompted to lay everything literally on Jesus' feet and pour it out there. And I really believe it's the Holy Spirit that's prompting Mary to go do something shocking and scandalous, so shocking that John wants you to hear about it 2,000 years later. And I really believe the Holy Spirit is prompting Mary and putting Mary in this position so that Mary can do something in preparation for Jesus' death. And what you see is Jesus saying, I've decided I'm going to honor my father. And honoring my father is going to cost me everything. It's actually going to cost me my life. And so Jesus is declaring what's about to happen to him next. Mary could have never possibly known this. But Mary is a woman who is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Listen to what I'm saying, which means she's eliminating at least enough distractions in her life that she can hear from the Holy Spirit. Are you catching me? And not only is she hearing from the Holy Spirit, but she's got the courage to do what the Holy Spirit is prompting her to do. And I kind of want to ask myself right now, I'm not going to put you on the spot, but I kind of want to ask myself right now, if I felt the Lord saying, Jeff, I need you to give away your entire life savings. I need you to do it tonight. And I need you to just dump it out on somebody else's feet. Would I be willing to do what Mary just did? See, I think what the Bible is describing for us right now is a woman that is so surrendered to the Holy Spirit, so sensitive to the Holy Spirit that of course she's going to follow what the Holy Spirit prompts her to do next, no matter how expensive no matter how much this is going to cost her. And Mary does something for Jesus that she didn't even understand when she was doing it. Jesus had to explain it to Judas and maybe to a few of the other disciples as well as they were sitting there with their minds absolutely blown about what just happened. Mary 
has totally surrendered to Jesus. And she's got a heart that is ready to worship when Jesus enters into her house and ready to lay everything before him and surrender it all to him. And sometimes it's when we strip everything else in life away that the only thing is left is us and Jesus, our heart and his spirit. And I asked Pete and Alicia to do something very unusual for us today. What I want to do is as much as possible, I want to try to strip away distractions. I want to try to strip away the things that are right now grabbing your heart and deeply on your mind and maybe even some worries or concerns. I want you to lay those down for just a second. And I want you to go back to worshiping the King of Kings. And so I asked Pete and Alicia if they would lead us in one more song before we even wrap this sermon up. And in your living room or in this room, for just a second, would you strip everything else away? And would you just sincerely, honestly worship the King with Pete and Alicia for a second? Then I'll come back up and I'll finish this sermon. When the music fades And all is stripped away And I simply come Longing just to bring Something that's of worth That will bless your heart bring you more than a song for a song in itself is not what you have required you search much deeper within through the way things appear you're looking into my
about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. It's all about you. Back to the heart of worship, and it's all about you. It's all about you, Jesus. I'm sorry, Lord, for the things I've made. When it's all about you, it's all about you, Jesus. Father, I pray that this song would be a powerful moment in this service where we would just get real with each other. And I mean get real with ourselves about our heart. And my heart, God, if I'm honest, if I'm sincere, is often distracted and you deserve 100%. But I'm afraid that I'm not giving you 100% of my heart. I'm focused on me. I'm focused on my day. I'm focused on the things that are in the future. And I want to say I'm sorry. I want to worship you the way that you deserve to be worshiped. But I'll admit, without your help, Holy Spirit, there is no chance that that's going to happen. So would you help not just me, but all of your children, all of your sons and daughters to worship the Father the way that he deserves and to exalt King Jesus. And Holy Spirit, we can't do this without you. And I pray that the greatest act of worship that we do today is not the songs that we sing, not the scripture that we study, but it is a sacrifice right now as we make a commitment and get real and maybe make a next step right now. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. For those of you who are kind of new to our church, next steps are our way of putting what you heard from the Bible into practice. And basically what we want you to know is God didn't write the Bible just so you would learn a little bit about him and go away with more information. No, he wrote it so that your life would change. And I got two challenges on the screens. Maybe for somebody that's watching this broadcast, maybe for somebody in this room, you realize I need God to radically totally change my soul for the first time. I need him to give me a heart of worship because I have a heart that is not focused on him. Maybe what you need is what Jesus describes in John chapter three of being born again. And if that's you, I want to invite you right where you're at, right here in this room, right there in your living room. Would you just simply pray a prayer of surrender to God? You could do it with your eyes open, but from a sincere heart that says, God, forgive me. God, I'm a sinner. God, I can't fix my heart. I need you to take this heart of stone and I need you to replace it with a heart of flesh. And I'm turning from my sins and I'm turning to you and I'm trusting you as my God and as my Savior for the first time. And if you'll make that commitment, I'll make you a promise. If it comes from a sincere heart, God hears that prayer and he will honor that prayer. And he will radically, totally change you like he did this dirty 13-year-old kid when he cleaned me up and gave me a heart to worship him a long time ago. 
for my brothers and sisters, those of us who have been claimed by the blood of Jesus and cleaned up and made right by him, maybe the second thing on the screen is you. Maybe what you're saying is this week, I'm going to find 30 minutes every day this week and I'm going to put away all distractions and I'm going to worship Jesus with everything that I've got and I'm going to hold nothing back for just 30 minutes every day this week. I'm going to enter into a daily habit of worship. I am convinced God will start to speak to you and mold you and do great things in your life if you'll make that commitment this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.